Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxton, and we're talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford and beyond with us tonight. Yeah, certainly I'm, Rob. Certainly I'm. There's a lot been going on as usual. It's always an action-packed show, isn't it? So, yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, so what we'll start, we'll start with the Rugby League and the Salford Devils. Their final league game of the season at the AJ Bell were against Warrington Wolves uh, and they lost 32 points to 14. Uh, Paul, talk us through it. Yeah, it was um, it was an interesting afternoon. You know, Salford made a lot of changes to the team. You had six deputants coming in from the reserve side and uh, yeah, it was a totally different Salford team that we've, we've seen of late, one or two. Uh, players still in there, but you've got Sitar Akawala in the centres and, you know, a different half-back pairing of Harvey Lovett and Morgan Escray. So it was a completely different side, really. And, whereas Warrington had some uh, some big names in there, teams like the George Williams, Matt Duffy playing and, you know, one or two others, Danny Walker, Joe Bullock, these sort of guys. So they had, they had a decent side out. So um, it was always going to be tough for Salford to... Uh, to perform against that with, with youngsters in the team, but I thought they did incredibly well. You know, Warrington scored a couple of early tries and had an eight 0 lead, but you know, James Greenwood crashed over it for for Salford to reduce the, the race to eight points to six, and you know, a bit of a contentious uh, forward pass. I, you know, maybe a line ball that was uh, Luke Thomas's try before half time, but at fourteen eight, I thought we give a really good account of ourselves in the first half, and um, I think it was Greg Minikin who got a try for Warrington just after the break, 20 points to eight, took them a bit further out, but then Miles Dalton Harrop scored on his debut. Great try for him to score. Nice bit of a link-up play from Jack Stevens who'd come on, and 20 points to 14. I thought we were right back in the game there, and a bit of a dubious penalty. George Williams showed a bit of class and scored, and 26-14, and then it was Thulis who got the interception late on. So I think the scoreline perhaps flattered Warrington a bit, really, 32-14 with that late try, but they deserved to win. They were the better side on the day, but you know I think I think Salford did, did themselves proud, really, you know, with the with such an inexperienced team, and um, and yeah, it was good to, to to blood some of those guys from the reserves, and you know, it, I think it's going to benefit the, the club, hopefully, because there's a lot of players who needed rest. I think Ryan Briley had been playing with broken ribs and painkilling injections the week before on the Monday against Castleford. So there was a lot of battered and bruised bodies there from the, the busy weekend. So it, it gave those guys that, that, that rest this week. It did. It did. And obviously, you know, you're talking about playoff rugby and obviously the uh, Paul Rowley effect. He, he's an experienced coach and he, and he knows that, you know, he wants his team fully fit and, you know, he rested quite a lot of players. Do you think that was the right thing to do in the situation he finds himself in? You don't, only Paul would know the answer to that question, really, because he sees the players every day, doesn't he, and knows what they're going through and what knocks they're carrying and what niggles. And I suppose his medical team will have said to him, well, such a body's going to struggle this weekend. So time will tell, really. I mean, in an ideal world, you know, in the sort of a Sabutio world, if you like, you want to play your best side every week, don't you, and, and win every week. And I'm pretty sure that Salford side, if they played at Castleford, those players would, with the greatest respect to Warrington, I think they'd have won by 20 points. I think they'd have put Warrington to the sword. I mean, let's say it right, Warrington, you know, brought some youngsters in as well. It wasn't their first, first choice side, but I think we'd have had far too much for them. So, I'm hoping it's a positive. It's had a positive effect, uh, and those players are going to be ready for Huddersfield now on on uh, on Saturday for the playoffs because that's going to be a cauldron atmosphere there. I mean, well, I say that I'm hoping Salford's going to take a massive following, so it might be like a home game. But I think it's going to be a very intensive game. It's going to be a very big test 
um, and you need your players fit and ready. So with, with a bit of luck, they've had a good rest there and, um, you know, they'll, they'll come back full of energy because I think the cast game for me, you know, they, they played Thursday, gone to Casford on the Monday and, and coach of Casford, Lee Radford, said it, they were full of energy, Salford, and, and that was great to see and that's what got them that victory. So let's hope they're full of energy on Saturday. Yeah, obviously we're talking about the, the reserves that came in. Uh, Josh Rourke, Joseph Cooplin, Franklin, Miles Dalton Harrop, um, Jack Stevens, Daniel Spencer Tonks, and Henry Davis all coming in from Stuart Wilkinson's reserves. Uh, you know, you know, Wilkinson, you know, a very experienced coach. Uh, he's brought in these youngsters and, and they're playing Super League now. It must be fantastic for them, uh, fantastic for the club as well. That you know they've got that opportunity now to to develop your youngsters, and hopefully that's going to continue into the future. Definitely. Do you know what? I was very, very impressed with them. All all six of them, I thought, they didn't look out of place. There was nobody that looked like wet behind the ears and struggling. They all looked really good. I mean, Daniel Spencer talks come off the bench and and Davis, the, the other forward, I thought they, they, they took the ball in so hard and they looked like they've been playing Super League for years. Jack Stevens, I'm a massive fan of Jack. Um, I've seen him play, you know, in friendly games for us before, and, and sort of been in and around the first team, and got a cracking pair of hands, and he looks like he's going to be a real star. Um, very impressed with him. I was very impressed with Leon Hayes actually for Warrington. Their scrum half, he reminded me a bit of uh, Luke Robinson, mm. the way he ran. I think he's got a big future in the in the sport. But Amir Burra as well. We, we talk about Josh Rowe, you know, um, Joseph Coop Frank, as you said, Miles Dalton Harrop. Uh, making sure we don't miss any of them out. All six of those were great. Um, I thought Amir Burra, he's only a young lad as well. And um, he, he's not played much recently, had a really bad injury and uh, he's come back and uh, and done really well. So uh, James Greenwood's been out for a long time. So it, it was good to give those those guys a, a run, really. So, um, so yeah, I thought everybody who played uh, did really well on, uh, on uh, Saturday. Yeah, and that's... You're hoping that you know, it helps develop further. You know, youngsters coming into the game, I'm thinking Salford will be a team they can join and, and, and build their careers with. Because obviously, you know, we can't always afford the big players, can we, at Salford? It's all about bringing the players in who are sort of want a career or, or may have been missed by the bigger clubs. And, and you're hoping that obviously this pathway uh, is open now for players to come into our team. Yeah, yeah, too right. And I mean, I think, you know, some of those guys, I think that Miles Dalton Harrop's from, um, I think he's from like Kendall, that neck of the woods, isn't he? And I think he sort of travelled down and from what I've heard and, and putting an awful lot of commitment into playing for Salford Reserves. And that's great to see, you know, he's not not a local guy, but wants to be involved and, and it, with the sport. So I think we've got, got some of our local lads in the in the reserve side and, and lads from all over the show. And they're showing an awful lot of commitment and they've, they've done really well at it. You know, this season, first proper season at it. So I think that's got to grow now, and these players have got to be nurtured. And it's good to see them in and around the first team, hmm. you know, getting that, that experience of, uh, of, of, of experienced players. But it's great to have that sort of pathway now at the club, and that's what the club needed. Yeah. And obviously, Salford, first playoff game of the season. They face Huddersfield Giants away on Saturday. Uh, big following expected uh, down at Huddersfield, obviously. Paul Rowley's men hopeful for, to progress onto bigger things. Yeah, it looks like it'll be St. Ellen's away if they get through Huddersfield, but I don't even think you can think about that. I think you've got to you've got to focus on the Huddersfield game now and, and, and after that, you know, that's a that's another day. Um Huddersfield's gonna be really tough. They're a they're a good side, they're a good home side. 
I've seen quite a lot of them this season, and they're not, they've not finished third top for nothing. They're a very consistent team. They do things right. don't think they're the flashiest team going. Um, I wouldn't say they was, was as entertaining as, as sort of Salford play. They play a different style to us, but it's effective what they do. They got to the Challenge Cup final and came mighty close to winning that as well. So they've had a, had a, a very solid season so far, and that's going to be... Uh, going to be a great game on Saturday, one o'clock kickoff. The atmosphere is going to be absolutely fever pitch. You know, let's hope Salford can take. I've heard rumours today that 4,000 are going to go. I'm not so sure about that. It would be great if they did. Um, if we could pack that away and out, I think it would be absolutely tremendous. And, you know, these are the games you want to be involved in. You want to be involved in these big games in rugby league. As a supporter, I think you want to go to, to massive games like that. There's pressure on and, and live and breathe every minute of it. So, um, you know, we've been in relegation scraps and finishing mid-table and you know, dead rubber games at the end of the season. Now you've got this. You know, you're two games away from a grand final once again. And it's it's great to be part of. And it's um, the whole week now building up is going to be nervous for the supporters, you know, thinking about the squad. And uh, that's what rugby league's all about. I can't wait for it. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. I spoke to Sam Luckley after the game. This is what he had to say. So I'm joined by Sam Luckley. Defeat today, but you've got to be proud of the, the young lads that have come in and put a shift in. Yeah, uh, obviously we want to win, but the feeling in the change room, was, you know, it was a happy one. We weren't depressed or anything like that, I think. Um, the thing that the boys put in with the squad that we put out with a load of debutants and that uh, I couldn't be proud of the boys. They put, they put a right shift in, they had a good dig, and we come away happy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a good season, obviously. You know, finishing the playoffs. Uh, you, you sort of, had, you know, your dream try at St James's Park. I mean, talk us through the season for yourself. You know, did you achieve what you wanted to? Well, it's not, so over, it's not over yet. Yeah, it's not <laughs> over yet. But uh, yeah, I've, I've personally, you know, I've got more game time. I played a bit more consistently and stuff. And and. With that comes the you know the good the try obviously my dream try and all the sort of stuff like that um, um, yeah so off the back you know constantly playing and and working on those things with roles that he's bringing out in my game comes you know all the flash stuff at the end they you know nice tries and the push on the inside to get through and stuff like that so uh, on a personal note it's been a great yeah I've loved every minute of it so far but final push final push Huddersfield next week on a Saturday massive following expected it's going to be what an occasion it's going to be. Yeah, where atmosphere is building already, isn't it? Really, yeah. that we were walking on the stadium and everyone was saying, um, you know, we've we've had a few good battles this year, us and Huddersfield, and you know they know what we're going to bring them, and we know, what, you know, what, what's going to happen really. So we need to prep well this week, um, you know, and just have have a good have a good dig, one last push, and uh, hopefully we can do them. Didn't come this far to go this far, did we? No, absolutely not that. <laughs> Brilliant, Sam. Cheers. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Cheers, yeah, mate. Well. Yeah, Sam luckily spoke to me, Paul, and he, and he was sort of excited about what was to come. He talked about the, the youth players coming through through the reserves, but there's a job still to be done on Saturday. Yeah, there certainly is. He's had a good season. Sam, I think he's made an awful lot of progression. You know, we've spoken to him quite a few times, haven't we, on the podcast, and he's uh, a very friendly guy and great to have on the show. And uh, I was in the... I was in really good spirits and, you know, he, he came through from, from League One, didn't he, last season? Probably looks a bit green last year and took him a bit to get going. But I think this this season, especially in the second half of the season, he's really, really come of age and, you know, he's become a first-team regular, hasn't he now? And, you know, one of the first names on the sheet, you know, he's got a cracking offload game, really, really strong runner and uh, with his lung-bursting runs. And I think he's uh, he's going to play a big, massive part in, in the side on, on Saturday at Huddersfield. And, yeah, there's a job to be done there now and... I think they're going to knuckle down this week in training and, and come out firing on Saturday. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Salford Red 
Devils ladies. They were in action against Alton. Uh, their game against Alton was billed as the, as the biggest game of the season. It was one against two in the division and Salford came out on top, 20 points to 10. Uh, tries from Casey Naylor, Kate Garrett and Kaylee Bradshaw uh, were enough for Chris Bates' ladies to secure the win and now the one victory away from securing the title. Yeah, that, that was billed as the big game, wasn't it? Alton Redettes have, um, have been pretty consistent this season, haven't they? And they've uh, been up there challenging as well. And it was a tough game. It wasn't a blow-away scoreline. You know, the ladies have had a few blow-away scorelines, haven't they, this season? And, you know, where games have been won by by half-time. But this one was a more gritty performance where they had to they had to grind it out, really, didn't they? So, um, so yeah, it was a, a tougher standard. I think Alton a, a better standard than some of the other sides. But they've proved there that they're... You know, going the right way. They're a champion team, aren't they? Won the uh, won the cup, and now we're uh, quite close to, uh, to to a title as well. You know, a league title. So uh, just uh, there's not there's not so many games left now. I don't think is there. So um, so yeah, it was great to, to get that result. Big crowd, you know, around the around the pitch on on Saturday night when I saw it. So uh, good atmosphere as well, and everyone was enjoying it. Some good rugby on show. Yeah. And obviously, this week, they face Stanley away from home. Victory away will secure the title. Obviously, the first season um, as a rugby league team, it's been an amazing journey uh, for everyone. Yeah, it certainly has. It would be, uh, it'd be the icing on the cake if they could get that result against Stanley and uh, no, it'll be a tough one away from home but it's been a, been a great story this season and let's hope they, uh, they get a bit more uh, more coverage because it's not really been banded about I know we spoke about it in the, in the devil of detail and, and things like that but it's been a quiet story really so let's hope the rugby league media uh, don't give them the, the, the shout out they deserve hmm. Obviously we'll cover them on the sport zone because obviously they're part of our local sporting network and it's fantastic that Chris Bates and, and the ladies are performing at such high level and we're looking forward to seeing what they can do in the in the playoff possible Super League next season. Let's talk about Swinton Lions now, uh, Paul. They were away at Crusaders uh, in their final league game of the season and won 38 points to 12. Uh, great win for Alan Colan's men. Yeah, really good win. That that that's the kind of win, the kind of performance you want if you're going to be going for promotion. That that was a test. That you know the Crusaders have been pretty consistent this season, like Swinton. They're up there challenging, quite an evenly matched side to Swinton, really. Um, so it was going to be a close game. I had it as a as a close game. I think I, my prediction was two a two point win for Swinton, and they come up with um, with a really good result, and um, you know won comfortably in the end, and that's going to give them the world of confidence now for Alan Coleman and the lads for the for the playoffs. Um, obviously, you've not got Keith Lacugas there now. They've gone up unbeaten. They've had a really good season, but you know your playoffs now. You, you've got a real chance in that now. I mean, Doncaster have been coming good. Rochdale Hornets have faded a bit. Um, I think. The Crusaders are probably the nearest challenge for Swinton and they've gone there and, and beaten 38-12. So that's a real statement victory, that. Yeah, here's Alan Coleman talking about the victory. Hello, Alan. Thanks for joining us here at Victoria Park in the immediate aftermath of Swinton's victory against North Wales Crusaders. Um, initial thoughts in the immediate aftermath of the game where we've uh, come second in the league and now we look forward to a week off and the playoffs. Yes, yeah, what we aim for. You know, the, the last five or six games we've spoken about, since we lost to Doncaster, we spoke about being that team where we, we can't afford to lose many more. And as a group, that was our target. Um, we've achieved that target. We're over the moon with that. We've got so many busted bodies at the moment, and, and, and so has everybody else. Just speaking to Muslim, they're busted, and 
you know, I can't speak for Donny and other teams and whoever who is who makes it, Rochdale and whoever it may be. Um, but you know, a week off will do us a, a massive thing. I just thought today we we didn't play fantastic rugby or a, a great brand of rugby, but we played as a team and we stuck in and, and we fought so hard. And was there any any focus and, and changes immediately? Obviously, the, the start wasn't ideal, conceding two tries fairly early on in similar circumstances. Did that um, play into sort of any changes on the field? We spoke all week about being being composed and completing with the ball, you know. And, and I think they had that so much focus on that they didn't worry about the team with the ball. You know, there was no bother about us with the ball, and obviously they they got the ball and. To be fair to them, I thought they executed the first couple of sets really well. Kicking game was very good. Were we poor on them kicks? I think we were. We was out of position, yeah. But, you know, you learn from mistakes and the message going on was, you know, let's get the ball, let's get the ball in hand, let's respect it, respect them. But when we do get the ball, let, let's punish them with high completion. And we just went upfield then. I think they went five, six minutes really touching the ball then and, and it got us right back in the armour. So. And when Crusaders did then have the ball, they looked to maybe execute that previous plan that had succeeded with that kicking game. And but combined with, as you say, our defence and then actually getting the ball, it, it just seemed like they were they were not in the game for a quite a period. No, I thought we, you know, we was really really good from ten minutes onwards, you know, to, to at least half time. We just looked a team what was in control completely we went long spells with the ball they didn't have the ball and that's a credit to you know this team and you know my halves are very young um, you know we lose Elsie a bit and we have to make some changes and I thought Jordan Jordan Case were brilliant going in for Nick and Nick were brilliant for Elsie you know so considering it you know we had so many things thrown at us I thought we you know we was real smart how we went so a, a really pleasing end to the regular season yeah yeah and no um should we lose four games? No. Did we come second? If we can't win the league, yes. So, you know, we've, we've got something out of it. We've got a well-deserved rest, and I know speaking to Muzzy, he was desperate to get that rest because he's the same as us, and they've earned the right. Um, they'll work hard, they'll enjoy each other's company tonight, I have no doubt, and have a good evening, and I hope they do. Um, and we just, we've just got to focus on us now. You know, we're, 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 we're 80 minutes away from a playoff final, so we've got to get that semi-final out the way first. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. So that was Alan Coleman talking about the victory, Paul. And obviously, you talked about, you know, how tough it's been and, and obviously, you know, the charge to the playoff. And it's an exciting time, obviously, coming at getting relegated last season. Opportunity now to bounce back. They finished second. So they'll have a week off uh, this week. So opportunity to rest a few bodies and, and get ready for the big push. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a, there's a bit of a sort of step between League One and the, the Championship. You look at this season, you look at the likes of Lee Centurions, who've just spent probably Super League salary cap, really, haven't they, in that league, and probably more than there's some Super League clubs. And, you know, Featherstone Rovers, Halifax, there's some really tough sides, isn't there? So it's a big step up for Swindon if they to go up. But I think that's the, the, the league you need to be in, I think, now. The Championship is a buzzing league, so vibrant. You've got plenty of away support coming as well. Be great next season to get back in that, you know, down at um, Haywood Road, get some big teams down there, get some plenty of money in the coffers, and I think that's going to increase Swinton's attendances as well. So, yeah, no disrespect to League One, but you've got some some tough away trips there. You're down to Cornwall and the Midlands and things like that where you probably don't get the away support. So, I think the the, the championship will be a massive challenge for them and one that they're going to relish. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, both our play, both our teams in the playoff action. You know, we're, we're looking to, to to hopefully both sets of uh, of clubs uh, going up to that next level. Exciting times.
He certainly, I think both both the sides, both local sides, Swindon Salford have had uh, had terrific seasons really, and been a real roller coaster for both of them, playing some great rugby, scoring plenty of tries, and and they've kept the supporters entertained as well. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be a really good week. This, you know, Swindon got a week off, but Salford have got a huge game, and um, you know, there's a lot on that game as well, isn't there? With you know the ex Salford players in the Huddersfield team, and got the Ian Watson factor as well. I know he's been left for a couple of years now, but you still still got that bit there that adds a bit of edge and a bit of spice to it, and that's what it's all about and it's got a real sort of cup real cup tie fever to this one really on, on Saturday and uh, one o'clock kickoff as well live on terrestrial television for the world to see it's uh, it should be great yeah and obviously as we're, as we're both our local size do we do we think they're going to sort of compete and obviously get to a final it'd be good to see you know Swinton have been to a few finals haven't they over the last few years promotion finals and been up and down, haven't they, through the leagues? But I don't see why not. I don't, you know, that, I just said before, that, that win at, you know, in um, in Colwyn Bay against North Wales, I think, is a real statement victory. Like, it wasn't an easy sort of fluky win. Uh, sorry, a, a one-point win. It was a it was a big result. You know, 38-12 was a solid result. And, um, you know, they've got plenty of pace in that in that Swinton side as well. I think they're one of the quickest, I think they are the quickest side in the in League One. And and I, they they be my favourites now. I, there's still a lot of hard work to be done, but I fancy Swinton through the playoffs. I think they'll get promoted. Yeah. So that's all the rugby chat. And now we're going to talk boxing with James and Paul. And now we're moving on to the boxing, and there's so much going on. And Tyson Fury over the weekend switched his focus from the sweet science onto the world of wrestling. He was at WWE Clash at the Castle, the first WWE pay-per-view in 20 years in the United Kingdom. So a huge event at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, Wales. 62,000 fans crammed into there singing for all the British fights on the bill. In the main event, a Scottish guy named Drew McIntyre challenged Roman Reigns for the belt. In the middle of that matchup, a different superstar called Austin Fury tried to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, which is a, a, a contract which allows him to fight for a world title at any point of his choosing, including in the middle of matches. Anyway, as he ran to the ring, he was knocked out by Tyson Fury. And then the Gypsy King sung in the ring at the end of it. So fantastic for him. Great. Getting out there to a new market. But now he's got to switch back to boxing, hasn't he, Paul? Yeah, I think so. That's what everybody wants him to do, don't they? And uh, I've seen his his training videos running with uh, Joseph Parker recently. He's keeping himself fit, isn't he? And uh, keeping himself sharp. And uh, and yeah, I think I don't think he's finished in boxing whatsoever. I think he's still got that hunger and that desire. And uh, you know, there's bits of rumours flying about, isn't it, at the moment about who he's going to fight next? And uh, hopefully, we'll hear something. Hopefully, we'll get an announcement soon, and um, and something will get made because uh, people want to see it, don't they? They most certainly do, and we'll get on to Fury's opponent in just a minute because there's some interesting names that have sprung into the equation. But for now, it seems as if he's got one foot out of the door. Regardless of whether he fights Usyk or Joshua or not, he's looking at other steps. I think he's releasing a second autobiography. He's on different podcasts all the time. He's getting involved in this wrestling. And with his personality and with his charisma and the fact that he seemingly loves getting involved, he loves knocking people out, Austin Fury found that out, over the course of the weekend. Do you think wrestling is the next natural career step for him? Well, he's that size, isn't he? He's big enough for that. You know, he's a, he's a huge man. Um, and there seems to be a bit, a bit of money in that sort of um, sport, doesn't the wrestling? And, um, you know, people like that. It's um, 
gets a lot of supporters. I mean, just mentioned there, 60,000 at the Principality Stadium. So uh, that could be the next move for him. Yeah, it could be once he's, he, he decides his boxing career is over. I think Tyson Fury is the sort of person who could turn his hand to anything. He has got that. He's got a great sense of humour, hasn't he? he? You know, you've only got to watch some of his you know, videos at his press conferences and weigh-ins and things like that. I mean, you don't laugh at that, you know, you don't find that funny. I mean, there's something wrong because he makes me laugh every time I see him. So, um, so yeah, and, and he does seem a nice character as well. Sometimes he comes across a bit daft with some of his videos, but but no, he's, he is a character and, and he's an entertaining character and I don't think you can ever take that away from him. So whatever he turns his hand to, I think he probably have success at because people want to know what he's up to and want to see what he's doing. So, um, so yeah, he attracts um, support, doesn't he, as well? People like to go and see him, so... I'm sure his next boxing bout, wherever that may be, it'd sell out dramatically. But I think he's still got an awful lot to give to the sport as well. He's a very, very talented boxer, so uh, I'd I'd like to see him in with, uh, you know, another world. I think I'd love to see him fight Usyk. I mean, I know you would. I think that'd be a perfect match for him, and all the belts on the line. That that'd be the fight. But whether he gets made or not, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Usyk's definitely the fight that everybody wants to see. We we talk about it all the time. These two boxing geniuses, both presenting puzzles that nobody has been able to solve. And it'd be interesting to see which one can figure out. However, Usyk doesn't want to fight this year. He wants some time with his family. And you can understand that, bearing in mind he's just done 12 hard rounds with Anthony Joshua. And with everything going in Ukraine at the moment, he just needs to relax. Fury, however, is insistent on fighting this year, so he's looking at other options. And one that's popped up is Manuel Shah. He's been going back and forth with him on uh, Twitter, on social media. And it's a fight that has been rumoured in the past. I remember when Fury was first coming back into the equation before he fought Deontay Wilder. There was a rumour that he could fight Shah then when uh, the German had the WBA regular belt. He's not got that anymore. And for me, that fight doesn't really do much. Shaw, a decent heavyweight, but he's only around European level, really. Yeah, you would say Tyson Fury is a, a level above, or maybe two levels above it. You know, being generous, uh, perhaps saying a one level. But every fight's a, a risk for a boxer, um, as we know. But you would expect Tyson Fury to, to win that comfortably, and that's no disrespect to his opponent. But... But yeah, I know what you mean about some of the names that are being banded about. Some of them are, are strange, really, not the ones that, that, that come off your tongue. But I suppose it's down to Fury and what he wants to do. But like you said, they've engaged with each other on, on social media. But I, I'd find that quite a strange one if that, that was to get made. But, you know, sometimes if he's desperate for a fight, he'll take it. You know, if there's nobody else to fight this year. And as you said, with Usyk there, he's had, he's had a tough 12 months, hasn't he? You know, that fight with Anthony Joshua, I think all the rest of the things that have gone on in his life as well, everything going on in his homeland, I mean, that's probably took a, a massive toll on him as well. And yeah, you need to spend a bit of time with your family, don't you? So, uh, so yeah, he could be backed into a car there, Fury, where he has to take a fight that perhaps he wouldn't take in normal circumstances. Sticking with the heavyweight theme, Joe Joyce, Joseph Parker, massive fight coming up at the Manchester Arena. I'll be there. I think you're thinking of going down, Paul. It's a matchup between two great heavyweights, both on the verge of a world title. And for me, it didn't need any extra than that. It was just a great fight. However, now, thanks to Frank Warren and Ben Shalom, they're both campaigned, and it's for the WBO interim world title. Is that necessary when Alexander Usyk only fought, you know, a few weeks ago? Um, yeah, it's a bit on the line, doesn't it? But I think I don't think that fight needed 
hyping up much anyway. Really, I think you've got two two fighters there. You know, that are uh, I won't say they don't like each other, but there seems to be a bit of needle there, doesn't there? And uh, this promises to be an interesting fight. This, I mean, I like Parker. I think he's. He's probably gone a bit under the radar, really, in recent years. I mean, I remember when he first came onto the scene, everyone was going to say he's, he's going to be one of the best heavyweights in the world. And, you know, he's had some tough fights and things haven't always gone his way. But, uh, but no, this, this, is a, this is a big test now and um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's a good card as well. I'm hoping to go to that. It's the same day as the Rugby League Grand Final, Super League Grand Final. So I might have to edge my bets a bit. But, uh, but no, there's some good fighters on the undercard as well. It sounds like you could be having an absolute whale of a time that day, Paul, if, uh, <laughs> if you get two results in. Yeah, it could be good, that. I mean, the, the, the grand final kicks off, I think, at six o'clock, so it's only down the road at Old Trafford, so um, I'm hoping to get some tickets. I spoke to, to Mark Efron today, actually. I spoke to him about getting some tickets, and uh, he's reserved me a couple for Tuesday, so uh, I'll be getting him, and then I'll have to just see how things go. I might have to hot foot down to the, uh, the arena after the grand final, but it looks a really good night. I mean... I think that most people who saw the fights at weekend in Liverpool were a bit underwhelmed by them. Really, I think the the undercard there was, was wasn't the best, and some of the matchups weren't weren't as good. But I think this one at the uh, at the arena, I think it's going to be good. I don't think Efron's found out who he's fighting yet, but he'll get a tough opponent whoever he gets. And obviously, they've got the uh, the Parker fight as well, which is going to be a good one. So uh, yeah, it should be a good night. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looks to be a good pearl poll, and I'm sure after Salford have won the final, you'll be able to get there just in time for probably the co-main event. But uh, moving back on to that Liverpool card, as you just mentioned, not the greatest, Bill. Fraser Clark for a bit of a no-hoper, really, in the in the nicest way possible. Tasha Jonas unifying the world titles, that was nice. But Liam Smith's fight ending in the fourth round, his opponent taking a knee, it's not what Beefy would have wanted, really. Yeah, he took it. He sort of went down on a knee and then sort of covered himself as if to say, "I've had enough." And and the, he'd already gone down before that with with like an ankle problem, um, which is unfortunate. But the way he went down there, where the referee stopped the fight, to me, he was surrendering, say, "I've had enough." And then he sort of jumped up and said, "No, no, I'm not. I'm I'm fine." And it was a real strange end to the fight. And. Like you said with the Fraser Clark, one that the guy that got him with Fraser Clark, I think he's about a five stone heavier than me. He did not look like an heavyweight. He looked more like a not even a cruiserweight, more like a sort of a super middle, like a tall guy, but not not much on him at all. I don't even think he threw a punch. Fraser Clark hit him with a with a body shot. Didn't look much in it. I mean, sometimes it's difficult to say from outside the ring because he, you get hit in there and it, it it does hurt, doesn't it? But the way he, he sort of went. It didn't look like he wanted to be there. He sort of ran to the ring and as if to say, just get the job done as quick as you can. You've got a feel for Fraser Clark there. I mean, he's put in an awful lot into his training camp. We spent loads of money getting himself in condition and, and everything, paying his trainers and paying all his team around him. You know, blood, sweat and tears in the gym. And then and you probably feel a bit robbed, you know, when something like that happens. And same with Liam Smith, really. So it was a, was a funny card, really. I mean... Um, the, the Shaq and Pitters fight was a good fight I think that's one of the fights of the night and Natasha Jonas as well but the rest of the card was a bit I don't know it, it made you question the matchmaking really yeah most certainly did but matchmaking you can't question this weekend is the main event at the O2 Arena Savannah Marshall taking on Caressa Shields and this is arguably the biggest fight in the history of women's boxing USA versus UK, a rivalry long in the making. 
Clarissa only losing one fight in her entire amateur career. That came at the hands of Savannah Marshall. This is going to be a big one. We've got a grudge. These two women do not like each other. Shields, the self-entitled, quote, an undisputed champion in two divisions. But Savannah carries thunderous power and she's fighting in front of her home crowd. Who gets the edge in this one, Paul? Uh, I've thought Savannah Mar- Marshall all along, to be honest with you. I think she's sort of kept her cool. Uh, Clarissa Shields has lost a plot a few times, hasn't she, in interviews and things like that. There's no doubt she's a talented fighter. I think it's a 50-50, really. I think you've got two very, very talented ladies there who who are, who are both champions in, in their own right, really. And It could go either way. I just edge for it for Marshall. I think probably just keeps... She keeps a little on her emotions, just a, a slight bit more, I think. And I think she'll just have enough on the night. But I could be wrong. It could go either way. Like you said, I think I think it's one, probably going to be one of the best women's fights ever. I mean, we've had you know, some great fights for, for Katie Taylor in the past and, and others. Uh, but I think this one, with the grudge match that's on it and all that's been said in the press and when they've faced up to each other, I think they've done a gloves are off, which I've not seen yet. Excuse me, I'd like to see that. I think that'd be interesting. But no, it promises to be fireworks and I'm really looking forward to watching it. I, ho- I hope Savannah Marshall wins, obviously, with us, with her being the UK fighter. But uh, it's going to be a nervous night. It most certainly is, Paul. And an interesting aspect of this collision is that Guy Sports have put on an all-female card and this has caused a bit of controversy. Some are saying it's fantastic, giving lots of women an opportunity to shine. And others are saying that it, it belittles the product because you've got a separation now between women's boxing and, and men's boxing. We shouldn't have to put an all-female card together because they should be mixed up anyway. I mean, if you look on the undercard of Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrara, and all, there was there was men below them, ticket sellers, your likes of your Liam Smiths and your, and your Jesse Vargas's, and the whole show was good. Does it belittle the product at all, or is it good in general that we've got this whole women's card on? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it makes any difference. If the fights are good, it shouldn't matter who's on. I think people always find fault with anything these days, don't they, and um, try and put people into into categories and things like that. So I think if it's a good night, why can't you have mixed cards? Why can't you have all men's cards? Why can't you have all women's cards? I think it just it depends who they match up on on the day. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in it and you're excited about it, you'll go and watch it and, and, and just enjoy the boxing. I think, you know, take all the politics away from it and all the, the sort of things people say these days about men, women, this, that and the other. I think just go and enjoy it because I think it'll be a great night. And, you know, that, that fight between Marshall and... And Shields, it, it, the fights like that don't come along very often, James. That's like a once-in-a-generation sort of fight. And, um, you know, if you get fights like that, go and watch it and, and, and just be entertained by it and just enjoy every second of it. Now, Matchroom have had an interesting week with some positives, some negatives. We'll start with the pros. They've announced two for Bivol versus Gilberto Romero as a good fight. There are rumours that coming off the canal of it, that the Russian would fight Joshua Boazzi. That's not going to be the case. He's fighting Ramirez, who's unbeaten himself, I think 44-0 in and around that region. Somebody who looked exceptional at super middleweight, beating the likes of Arba Abraham, but had all in all quite an underwhelming run there. And now we're hoping to find out just how good he is at light heavyweight. So that's an interesting fight. And then Hearn also announcing the trilogy between Juan Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Most people having... Chocolatito winning that second fight, which in all seriousness would, would would make a trilogy a bit irrelevant. But either way, he didn't get the verdict, according to the judges. So uh, the trilogy needs to happen. 
Yeah, yeah, you don't always get the result you want in boxing days. We've, we've said it so many times before on this show. Now the trilogy happens, and you know you can pick a winner from that. I mean, I know who you think is going to win. Don't have to ask you that, but I don't think. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, some 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 decent fights being made there, and it's good to see. It's good to see we're getting towards that sort of time of the year now, where there should be some some really good shows, you know, heading into the back end, you know, to towards Christmas time. So, looking forward to it. Looking forward to. It. I just hope we get some more announcements, and maybe Tyson Fury gets a big fight before the end of the year. And um, yeah, looking forward to the shows coming up. Particularly looking forward to the one at the uh, the arena in November. The uh, the Parker and uh, Parker Joyce fight should be a good one as well. Yeah, most certainly will. Now the negatives for Matchroom: uh, Sean Pascal and Joshua Boatsy going to purse bids. Boatsy, one of Hearn's biggest names on the Dazone products. Pascal, obviously a multiple time world champion, been in with the best of them. Hearn lost the purse bid by a hundred thousand pounds to Lou DeBella. And to add salt into the wounds, the American is now going to work on the fight with Frank Warren and put it on BT Sport, obviously being one of Hearn's main rivals. It's a bit of a kick in the teeth uh, for the matchroom man. Yeah, it certainly is. Certainly is not like uh, Eddie Hearn to, uh, to be losing bids, is it really? And, no, I, I've not really heard a lot from him recently. You know, we all associate him with Sky Sports and matchroom and, you know, you see him on there all the time and it seems to be Ben Shalom now that's always on there and... Um, I don't know, so I'm missing Eddie Hearn. He used to come up with uh, some good quotes, didn't he, in the, the good interviews, and provide a lot of Rasmus as to the, the, the skybox. And it's, it's not quite the same without him, really. So he's a sort of love him or hate him sort of person. But I always uh, thought, thought he was a decent guy, so uh, missing him on there, really. And the last story of the week for you, Paul. Floyd Mayweather back in action again. Another one of these exhibition bouts taken on a Japanese fighter called Makira Ascura, and are we at a point now where people aren't talking about these exhibitions and Mayweather's almost fading into irrelevancy with these fights that people aren't particularly interested in? I was just going to say that. You just pinched me words from me there. Yeah, he, he does feel a bit like that that way. Like I'm not saying you ever lose your legacy, but you do become a bit bit irrelevant when these sort of things because he, he, he's not like these out fights that capture the imagination really they do and I'm not quite sure how old Floyd Mayweather is now but perhaps it is time for him to, to hang the gloves up but perhaps he's, he does seem like one of those guys who absolutely loves being in the gym he's always super super fit isn't he and you know he just can't seem to let go and you know if that's what he wants to do in the road he wants to go down but it just seems strange when you've had such a fantastic career but an absolute boxing immortal to go down the road of these exhibition bouts against people who nobody's really ever heard of yeah it seems very strange indeed and we'll see how everything develops on that front over the coming weeks but for now we're going to move on to football and rob at the start of the season we were in tears weren't we manchester united seemed to be dwindling even further down the footballing mountain with an awful loss to brighton an even worse loss to brentford a full nil there we were worried for how long eric ten Hag potentially had at the club but somehow the Dutchman has turned it all around. The Red Devils are flying. A spectacular win against Arsenal, who going into this one were almost looking to replicate their form of 2004, is the Invincibles. Five games, five wins, looking almost unstoppable. Manchester United with a 3-1 win. Rashford bagging two. Anthony on his debut score, and we'll get on to him in a minute. But all in all, what do you make of this turnaround from Manchester United, and what did you make of the game? Yeah, fantastic performance uh, from Manchester United, James. You know, we, we, we wanted to, to see some good football. We wanted to see form to come back into the team. And I think that's what we've got. 
Eric Hentag, you know, showing why he's regarded as one of the best coaches in Europe. Obviously, lots of problems at Manchester United, but he's addressing them one by one. He, he knows that Manchester United are a big club and they're bigger than certain players, and he wants to pick the best team to suit his style of play, which is what's happening at the moment. And yeah, fantastic result for Manchester United. Arsenal are, well, we're top of the top of the table in good form, and to beat them 3-1 is a fantastic result. Uh, what do you make of that? I thought it was a spectacular result, especially considering a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how well Mikhail Arteta had done after the disappointment of last year. Obviously, a shocking start for the Gunners, them revitalising halfway through the season before ultimately falling short and missing out on a place in the Champions League. I think it was a fantastic result for Manchester United, and it's worth looking at the goal scorers here. First things first, Anthony, Eric Ten Hag, has gone for players throughout the transfer window who he genuinely believes will make a difference. Not the usual Manchester United method of going for who will sell the most T-shirts. Anthony is one of those players he knows can play well. He's worked with him in the area of VC. He's won two uh, Dutch League titles with him, so knew for a fact that he'd fit right into this Manchester United team, scoring his first goal, and it looks like he's got a very bright future ahead. Yeah, he's obviously he's coming to Manchester United, and you know fans demand... Um, success and the demand, you know, good play straight away, and it seems like he's delivered that. It's it's a, a smell of sort of breath, fresh air, really, isn't it? That there's people at Manchester United who want to perform, want to better themselves, and you know, to to wear that red shirt should be a privilege. And yeah, it's it's only one game uh, against Arsenal and a good win. Uh, but if we look back at the last couple of like, week or so. James, we you know we've we've come and get come up against teams that we usually struggle against. So to get results there as well, like Leicester, uh, you know it's it's games like that where you think you know we went and won that one. So we've got to keep building on this momentum, uh, and if they do keep continue to play some good good football, score goals, win games, you're going to end up near the top, aren't you? You are, Anthony. Everybody's excited about him. We all think he's going to be a great player, and he's proven that so far. However, from an attitude perspective, what do we make of him? Because, yes, granted, he was desperate to come to Manchester United, and so for that reason, we all love him and think it's fantastic. But at the back end of his time in Ice, he was refusing to play to try and force that move to Old Trafford through. Hmm. Could that potentially spell danger for him if he does continue to impress and another team wants him in the future? Could he be a bit of a hindrance? It's, it's a possibility, but people talk about him in the same breath as they talk about Neymar. So if you're going to have him in your team, he has that X factor, which Manchester United need. And, and yeah, characters are characters. You're hoping Eric Bentar can, you know, manage him correctly so he doesn't have to go down that line. Manchester United are one of the best teams in Europe, aren't they? So if... You know, if he does decide he wants to go to somewhere like Real Madrid or Barcelona or something like that, he is at Manchester United, so he's not. It's, is it a step up really in in the global, uh, you know, view of things? Because obviously, with merchandise and sponsored stuff, he'll probably get the same amount of money at Man United than he will at Barcelona, and Real Madrid. So, you know, for him to think about going to you know a top side line only because they were in the Champions League and United weren't, which is this season only, hopefully. So it will be interesting to see what happens there, James. It most certainly will. And now our other goal scorer, Marcus Rashford, bagging two. Last season, the fans were on his back. The media was on his back. Everybody who had an opinion was slating Marcus Rashford. Eric Ten Hag comes in and he seems to have revitalised the striker. He's mm -hmm. looking as good as ever and perhaps all he needed was a bit of confidence injected into him. 
Yeah, he's, he's certainly found his, his shooting boots, which is important. Obviously, being the Manchester United centre forward, it's your job to score goals. He's full of confidence. Now, being a striker, uh, that's a massive part of your game. You know, if you're not confident in front of a goal, you won't score. So, obviously, with the new coach coming in, he's obviously had a few words with, with Marcus Ratchford. And Marcus Ratchford now is, is scoring goals, which is important for him and for Manchester United because, obviously, he want to get into that World Cup squad uh, in uh, November, December time. So, if he's scoring goals regular for Manchester United, it'll be difficult for Gareth Southgate to leave him out. Long way to go till the November. Obviously, we're going to look short term at Manchester United. So as long as he keeps scoring, happy days. And in the short term, Rob, Real Sociedad this week opening up our European campaign. And after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's difficult time in Europe, obviously making the final of this competition and coming up just about short, hmm. do you think we can go all the way this year? It will be interesting to say, obviously, not in being in the Champions League was a blow to Manchester United, but the Europa League is a way in to the Champions League. So I'm sure, you know, the the club will want to progress, you know, like far in, in that tournament. And it will be a tough task against uh, Sociedad. But, you know, we are Manchester United. Europe is second nature to us. So you're hoping for a, for a good result there. Cristiano Ronaldo throughout the transfer window seemed absolutely desperate to leave Manchester United and he doesn't want to play in the Europa League, I think it's fair to say. Hmm. But after a decent run of form and the fact that he's been on the bench a couple of times, do you think his, his mind has changed in any sort of way or do you think that frustration remains? Um, he will want to play at the top level. Um, playing, the champion, playing in the Europa League is a, is a step down he sees it as. But he obviously he's walked around Europe trying to get in, trying to get a move to a to a Champions League team, but nobody seems to want to take the bait. So he'll have to play at Manchester United and work as hard as he can to get Manchester United back into the, the Champions League and then he will be playing Champions League. But does he fit into the Hentag system? That's the big question, James. And we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. You know, he's thirty seven. He does still bag goals, but he's not the Ronaldo of well, 20 years ago. So you, you never really, you won't, he's more short-term than, than long-term in this Man United uh, rebuild. He is. And Manchester United playing Crystal Palace at the weekend. 15th in the league. They've not had the greatest run coming off the back of a couple of draws and another opportunity for Manchester United to get another three points on the board. Yeah. A team that if you want to be competing, you know, at the top of the top of the uh, Premier League, you've got to beat Crystal Palace, and and that's and that's the thing. It's it's just you can go and beat Liverpool, uh, but if you're not beating teams that you should beat, it all becomes irrelevant because if you're dropping points at one end of the scale, but beating the top teams, you'll never get to where you need to be. Talk about dropping points. Man City drew one-one with Aston Villa. Ireland scored again, but unfortunately dropped points. Yeah, yeah, dropping points, Manchester City, and they won't be particularly pleased with that because despite Arsenal's loss, City staying second. So they'll mm. be particularly upset. Uh, Haaland, of course, scoring goals, but we knew he would. So this is definitely a negative day for Manchester City, especially coming off a massive 6-0 win against Nottingham Forest. You'd have expected them to push on from that momentum and get a big win, but not to be. Uh, they'll need to play better this week, uh, going toe-to-toe with Sevilla in Spain, never the easiest game, and they need to be better than they were over the weekend. Mm. And that's the thing with, with Man City. Uh, Pep Guardiola has the Champions League as being the, the trophy they really need. So they'll need to keep switched on. Obviously, they've, they've ran this race a few times, not got over the line in the end. But with 
uh, Harland in the squad now, it, it makes you think, you know, hey, was he the final jigsaw puzzle to get them there? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we will. And then a massive game against Tottenham coming up. Tottenham currently in third place. So in this Premier League race right now, it, it couldn't be more of an important game. Mm. Obviously, with Tottenham, Richarlinson coming in, Harry Kane. You've got some good players at Tottenham, haven't they? And, and yeah, it's a big test. Obviously, if you are Manchester City, every every game is a cup final isn't it? against them. Um, Tottenham will be up for that uh, contest. Conte, the coach, is you know he's a Manchester tactician, so the battle between him and Pep will be will be you know very good to watch, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, both looking for that top four finish, and you know both teams will be looking at taking maximum points. Looking at the lay of the land right now, Rob, you've got Liverpool in seventh. A bit of a shock, really. And when do you think the Reds will kick into the form? It's interesting because obviously, the longer it goes on, the the more doubt goes into the Liverpool heads. I know they won nine nil um, a couple of weeks ago, so there's goals in it. But like you say, is it is that was that a flash in the pan? Nunes has come in. You know, he's a more of a direct striker. Uh, really than Flaminio so it will be to see how they can change the style but obviously teams know how Liverpool play they've lost Mane um, he's gone to Bayern Munich and so it's uh, it's a slight change in, in style and has that been the difference James is that the, the reason why Liverpool are struggling it, it could well be Rob I think there's many issues within the Liverpool side at the moment and one I think is just complete and utter dejection mm. you've got to remember at the early point in May they thought they were going to win the quadruple, didn't they? <laughs> so to go from that to a double that nobody particularly cares about, it's going to have a massive effect on the team morale. Mm. It is a, more of a psychological problem, really, uh, for, for Klopp. Because obviously, he can only play at the optimum level for so long. And is this the downward spiral of this Liverpool side? We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, they did win the Championship League that time. So the fans are happy they're back. They got one on the board. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see, James. It will be interesting to see what happens there. Other teams, Arsenal, you know, they're, they're near the top, aren't they? And, you know, it's more of a competition in that top six now because they'll have to keep going. Otherwise, they'll be left behind. Yeah, there's a lot of competition in that top six, Rob. And a team that nobody expected to be in there is Brighton, who are doing particularly well at the moment. Mm. Brighton are a good side, uh, playing some good football. Um, and I'd say underdog. And, and when you're facing these big clubs, it can go either way. They, you can get worried, you can get nervous, and the big club will take advantage of that. Or you can play with that free style of play and, and play attacking football and, and attack them. And yeah, playing good, good football. It's early on, only early in the season. It's only, what, September? So it's going to be interesting to see if they're still there February time, then we can maybe dream about another Leicester scenario. Yeah, potentially. But a team who aren't playing good football, Rob, is, is Bournemouth. Mm. And you mentioned there that 9-0 loss that they sustained at the hands of Liverpool. That ended the managerial reign of Scott Parker. And is that fair to release a manager who's obviously done such a good job in the past and really hasn't had much time? Premier League, they they want success. They want success now, James. And if if you're beaten nine nil, alarm bells start to ring at every level of the club, whether that be playing side, board level. You know, are uh, this team and this coach good enough to play at Premier League level? And is a might be a, a reflex action. 
but we'll have to wait and see how the next two and three weeks uh, go. I think they, they beat Moriton Forest 3-2 this week, so that's a reaction, isn't it? So we'll have to we'll have to see if that kind of thing continues. So the rest of the Premier League scores, Everton nil, Liverpool nil, Brentford 5, Leeds 2, Chelsea 2, West Ham 1. Newcastle nil, Crystal Palace nil, Nottingham Forest two, Barmer three, Tottenham two, Fulham one, Wolverhampton Wanderers one, Southampton nil, Aston Villa one, Manchester City one, Brighton five, Leicester two, and Manchester United three, Arsenal one. Talk about new coaches coming in. Uh, Neil Woodford from Salford. Salford City drew 2 2 with Crawley. At home, um, two twice they left they let a, a lead lead slip, um, which is a, 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 must be frustrating for him and the players because obviously we need to be able to convert these games into wins to keep us near the top of the table. Yeah, extremely frustrating. All in all, uh, not exactly what we'd want. And where do we go from here? Where, where are the building blocks, and how do we change this? Hmm. It's interesting times. This is what Neil Wood had to say about the draw. I think we should have been better. I think and I've said that to the players in there. We, we need to be better when we're going 1-0 up. At the minute, it's it's uh, going against us. and We need to, to go and get that second goal as quick as possible and, and shut the game down as quick as we can. And For some reason, we're taking our foot off the gas or we're thinking it's going to be easy or we're just not doing it right. So... There's a bit of that, and then obviously the goals are really, really poor. The first one we should deal with a long ball, um, shouldn't really go in the near post, and then the second one is a corner and it drops three yards out from our goal, which can't happen. So yeah, really disappointing, especially when we're spending a lot of time trying to create the goal. You know, a lot of time in the build-up, spending so much energy and so much hard work trying to break them down and score to give soft goals away like that is, um, is really disappointing for us. So that was Neil Wood and he was talking about how, like you say, they let the two goals, uh, you know, the, the lead slip, James. And, and we know with football, it can be so different uh, every game. And if you get into that habit of leaking goals, it's very difficult to, to come out the other end. And, you know, they brought some good players in, haven't they, you know, in the last few weeks. And if they can't bed in together and, and, start a winning culture and win games then they might end up doing a season like they had last season where they were kind of struggling towards the middle and then they were on a bit of a run but just unfortunately not enough to to get into that promotion playoff places hopefully different this time around yeah most certainly you don't want them falling foul like they did last year do you but it's still early on fourth in the table is still an extremely good place to be in granted Crawley a team you should be beating if you want promotion. But Rochdale currently drop bottom of the league. That's an opportunity to get a win. And then Harrogate in 19th at the moment, another massive opportunity. So really, Salford needs to be picking up six points. Yes. Obviously, two big games. Like I said, if, if you're going to start drop leaking goals, you need to make sure that, that you're scoring goals. And, and obviously, yeah, they have had a, an off week, let's call it this week. But like you said, Rochdale are struggling. And it'll be interesting to see if we can sort of win that game and then kick on. Because obviously, Neil Wood wants to be competing at the top of the division to, to get promotion. Because that's what the whole club is set up for, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's what we're looking for. And with the backing of the 
of the likes of your Skulls and your Beckhams and your Nevilles, etc. That's what they want for Solver to rocket up to the Football League to make this amazing story. Somebody who hasn't had such an amazing story is Mario Balotelli. Mm. Arriving in Manchester City as an amazing prospect, one of the best on the planet, it seemed at the time, has massively fallen from grace. He's tumbled down the footballing pyramid. He's recently joined his 11th club, FC Sean, in Switzerland after getting in an on-pitch altercation with a coach. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Mario Bello, Balotelli, um, you know, what an enigma, really. With, with a minute to go, James, there's lots of players like that uh, all all over the, the world that, that join a club and just can't settle. Um, is there any particular ones that, that kind of stand in your, your brain as being a, a, t- a player that could have made it, but unfortunately had that personality? People call them flawed geniuses, really, James. God, that's a quick question to put me on the spot. If you gave me half an hour, Rob, I could come up with a great answer. <laughs> but uh, players who've fallen down the hill, uh, uh, nothing's coming to mind. Uh, oh, Ned's God, head. I can't believe it. I've fallen apart, Rob. I've fallen uh, apart on the sports. Zone lot, this week, things and I apologise to all the listeners watching out there. No, no, it's fine. Don't think about it, though. With, with 20 seconds to go, Eric Cantona, before he signed for Manchester United, he was the uh, the evil child of, of French football. Lots of negativity, lots of sending off. But he did. He turned it round, didn't he? And, and that's a, a good sign for any players out there who are struggling. So you're hoping that they can do an Eric Cantona. Big thanks for tuning into this week's Sports Zone. And I'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.